sex is the play of adults. I think it should be funny. It should be messy. Um, you should be able to look at it and, and look back at a situation and kind of blush with like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. Like people who are growing up on pornography with it being so choreographed and so produced, it completely alters their way to see what real life with real people and real couples are actually doing. Truly, what is sex beyond the physical intercourse act? You know, I think I can't, guys. I just asked our next guest about butt plugs. What? Like, why did that even come out of my head? Our next guest on the show today is, holy smokes, Dr. Viviana Coles, doctor of marriage and family therapy, a licensed marriage and family therapist and supervisor and a certified sex therapist. And not to mention the author of The Four Intimacy Styles. Butt plugs. But beyond talking about butt plugs, we really did tap into the context of relationships. And what are some key signs of toxicity to look out for? I think that is such a key point here. Um, how does one establish healthy boundaries to maintain a healthy relationship? How does one maintain a healthy sexual lifestyle with themselves. What if you're single? Yeah, we didn't forget about you guys. And how can sexual intercourse go beyond just orgasm, right? What is it? So we're going to jump into the show right here, right now. Guys, welcome to Toxic Free with KB. I'm your host, Kate Middleton, better known as KB. This is the show all about how we can reduce our toxic exposure in our everyday life. Let's go. Dr. Viviana, welcome to Toxic Free with KB. Hey. Hey, how are Um, you? Oh my gosh, it's so great to have you back. Guys, for everyone, I just want to welcome back our amazing expert in sex and relationship therapy. So I just want to jump into the questions here. Addressing toxic patterns in sex life. What advice do you have for maintaining a healthy sexual relationship? What's the first thing that comes off the top of your head? Lack of communication or Mm. um, aggressive communication, you know, like criticism or just this idea that when something doesn't feel good, or if you're missing out on, if you're missing something in your sex life, how you communicate that and those feelings to your partner can either be an investment in your sex life, or it can be something that ultimately ends up making things so much worse. And a lot of couples won't realize that their words really matter when it comes to talking about sexual issues until their partner tells them like, well, you know, you told me you yelled at me last time I tried to do that. And so I decided I'm never going to do it again. They're like, I wasn't yelling. What are you talking about? And then it kind of all comes out that they just weren't on the same page about it. Or if someone um, is frustrated with the level of or the lack of intimacy, how that comes across. So a lack of communication, lack of appropriate or 
loving communication, I think, is what is missing in a lot of these couples when it comes to sex. Communication is such a vital part, I think, to any relationship, whether it is sexual or not sexual. Um, But especially in the bedroom, I think like even that self-consciousness that people have, like the yelling comes out, wouldn't you say, because people aren't having that effective communication and awareness with their body with that communication, like joining forces. How do you like, how do you work with clients with that? I think for a lot of them, what they're doing is they're expressing and showing frustration. And that tends to come out by feeling like, well, you're not hearing me. If things haven't changed, Mm -hmm. it's because you're not hearing me. Well, let me talk louder. Let me say things rougher. Let me um, really up the ante when it comes to these things. And I feel like they don't realize just how much of a of an impact negatively that that can have um, on their intimacy in general, but especially when it comes to sex, because most people don't talk about sex. Most people don't know how to address these things. So we need to be more gentle with each other. We need to guide each other and almost be like, let's hold hands through this and let's walk through this together instead of thinking, you know, you should know this. No. You know, especially if you're in a new partnership, no, you shouldn't automatically know these things. And preferences change over time, even within the same long-term relationship. And it is up to us as the stewards of our own sexuality to share preferences as they change. Um, Or else our partners are just going to be like uh, trying to hit a moving target. So I really want to take you back to what you said about aggressive communication, especially in the bedroom especially in the bed, wherever you're having sex. I don't know. Could be on the floor, could be upside down in a chair, whatever. But aggressive communication, you know, that could be toxic. Okay. If I could define it, it probably is toxic and it like totally minimalizes the other person, especially in their performance. How are they going to perform well? How are you both going to get pleasure from that? So in the context of those specific type of relationships, what are some key signs of toxicity to watch out for besides that just kind of aggressive talk? What other things should we be looking for? Someone who shuts down without any sort of explanation. If you're talking about something sexual, if you're sharing maybe your own thoughts and the other person just shuts down and doesn't even explain like, hey, this makes me really uncomfortable or I don't really know what my preferences are. And I know you're asking me to share them with you, whether or not I like something, but I need more time to think about if they're not even willing to give you that. I mean, it's one thing to not have an answer right off the bat. Okay. We've all been there, but to not explain why you're shutting down and then Hmm. like refuse to talk about it later. That's I think a huge red flag in general, because you're basically what you're what if you're the person that's shutting down what you're telling your partner is I don't I'm not going to go there and I'm also not going to tell you why I'm not going to go there so now you're left to fill in all of the puzzle pieces on your own and of course a partner's sexual experience is a partnered sexual experience and you're not acting like a partner so I think that can be a sign of a toxic red flag as well oh my gosh I mean, that's beautiful, but you also kind of, I love this. You're just kind of like paving the way boundaries, right? Telling someone 
okay, no, that does not feel right. Or yes, please do more of that. These are creating beautiful parameters within the relationship. So how does one establish those healthy boundaries to maintain that toxic free relationship? You know, especially someone that does not have effective communication growing up. So if you're somebody who tends to kind of flop over and let somebody railroad you, or you're the opposite where you're like, I am going to set my boundaries so tight that way I don't ever get into this place of feeling uncomfortable, you should tell your partner that so that they aren't left to wonder and to just kind of like, you know, practically just like poke around and see what happened. Like, is this a safe zone to talk about? Is this, you know, like we don't need to create minefields for our partners, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to intimacy. We want to kind of pave the way in order for us to say and to show and express that we're trying to experience healthy physical connection. Part of that is giving the lay of the land. I talk about that in my book, The Four Intimacy Styles, how boundaries and sharing your boundaries with your partner allow for more pleasure than ever because now you're able to explore and play it's like you know if you were running in a field and you had no idea where the cliff was that's not nearly as fun as saying okay great i know where the cliff is because there's an easily marked fence you know with posts every so long and you're like okay now i can run around um and some people might think oh well that's exciting oh that you know that's not long-term you know, going to feel really good. And and some risk takers might decide, well, I'm going to play with my boundaries. And how do I know what my boundaries are? Because I want to let my partner explore and then just let them know when they've hit a brick wall. That's not a healthy way to share your boundaries is to just kind of say, go for it. I'll let you know when, when to stop. Um, especially when you're starting to create a, something new in a new relationship. I think it's so important for people to say, you know, in the past, I haven't been a huge fan of this, or in the past, this position doesn't make me feel very comfortable. So if if that's something you want to try, we're going to have to take it slow, or we'll have to prepare for that. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. That's a very healthy way of saying it's not a no forever. It's just uh, we would need to talk about it more. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful point to kind of throw out there to the audience, because in my mind, I'm thinking of the person, I'll speak for a female, right? I'm thinking of the person that is like, oh my gosh, if I tell my partner this, they will like think less of me. They don't even, they won't even want to touch me. So how do you not feel bad establishing that relationship? Say you're counseling someone, what would you tell them? First of all, they're not allowing for their partner to have the opportunity to respond in a healthy or unhealthy way. So you're not even giving them a, a shot. And I will tell you that if I were to say, and if it were the other way around, how would you want mm-hmm. them to treat you? How would you want them to approach this with you? Well, I'd like to, I'd like for them to at least give me the opportunity. That's what most people say. So if you're not willing to do that for them, just know you're also perpetuating and feeding the problem. Mm. And and you're basically now creating a problem where there might not really be one. Mm. 
So yeah, that effective communication, yeah, once again, it's just, I think also what you're saying is like, I don't know, just stepping into your own and just like going for it. I think like, especially me, if I could talk about my own sexual experience is that the more that you're just like open to the idea of just like being yourself and feeling and receiving, I think that makes sexual intimacy so much more pleasurable, right? Like playing. What? Absolutely. You know, sex is the play of adults. I think it should be funny. It should be messy. Um, You should be able to look at it and and look back at a situation and kind of blush with like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. Like that, that's fun too. That's what some really great guys nights and girls nights are like, you know, often the most fun experiences with other people do kind of have those OMG moments. And that can also happen with sex. Not everything has to be a very well choreographed performance like they show in music videos and porn videos. And they are like, that's not necessarily, um, I, I think, probably not nearly as fun or memorable or as bonding of an experience as just kind of exploring things together and being yourselves. Oh my gosh. I actually have a question about that. Pornography, you know, music videos, just to name a few. Are those considered toxic, I guess you could say, frameworks towards sexuality, sexual intimacy? Nine times out of 10, probably 9.9 times out of 10, yes. Um, I think it's so important to have resources that show ethical, consensual, um, partnered experiences that if you're going to look to them as something to learn from or to replicate or just to explore to see like what other people are doing, it's important that it not be so produced um, that it's like a fantasy. You need to be able to, as a conscientious sexual partner, be able to make the, the determination of like, this is realistic and this is fantasy it's the same thing that we have to do every day and I was actually talking about this with um, a few people about how how do kids growing up these days know what beings or animals are real what um what do other countries actually look like what does space look like like because everything is you know with CGI how do they not know that that sort of terrain doesn't exist in the U.S. or on the world or that animals, you know, that's not a realistic animal. Like, I I don't know. And I wasn't. I'm, it's the same thing with sex. There's so many times where I feel like people who are growing up on pornography with it being so choreographed and so produced, it completely alters their way to see what real life with real people and real couples are actually doing that is changing but there's still the issues with sex trafficking and with non-consensual experiences with webcams where it's like oh it's amateur and so it feels less produced but it's also doesn't mean that they're not on drugs they're not being coerced they're not you know being trafficked so I feel like the more we can move away from visual pornography unless you know that it's coming from a really trusted source with actual sexual partners who are ethically and and um, 
who are treated well and, you know, then they need to move towards erotic literature where you can then use your own imagination to create your own realistic expectations for sex. So this would be romance novels. This is a very sexy graphic depictions of real world uh, experiences that can happen. Some, Of course, some of them would fall into the fantasy files, but we're talking about romance novels. We're talking about audio erotica where people are sharing thoughts and ideas and their imaginations. But you can picture, and I'm, t- I'm usually telling this to clients, you can picture yourself, you can picture your partner. You don't have to just deal with what's going on in front of you and pick and choose what you can digest. Yeah. It's a really great way to almost like vicariously experience sexuality. Wow. So it's like creating in the world that we live with so much like metaverse and AI, it's like creating your own like fantasy experience, right? Yes. Totally. And I'm a big fan of doing that, especially for women, because we tend to get turned off by by what whatever we deem to be unattractive visual stimuli. We can get turned off by an entire situation just because of how somebody's skin looks sweaty or or <laughs> there's, you know, oh, that that piercing looks really painful. Um, whereas men can tend to focus on certain areas of the body that they're like, okay, I'm tuned into this. So for a lot of women, especially, I think it's important to go into erotic literature or audio erotica for that reason. And for men, I think it's important because they can learn so much more about what real life foreplay looks like and the efficacy of real life foreplay. Um, one of my main pro- one of my one of my many projects that I'm working on uh, has to do with all of this, and I'm hoping to have that out at some point. But I, I'm always looking for ways to really help people to uh, get through and and overcome these obstacles that are really common with their partnerships. Yeah, I mean, I think you talked about the female mind which I kind of want to tap into because ladies just agree with me for a second. You could be having sex. You could be in the moment and all of a sudden 20 billion things are flooding through your mind. Your partner is having the time of him or her's life, whatever style you're choosing to go with. But you're just like, can't get there. And you're like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But then you're thinking about, I got to feed the dogs. I have to go to the grocery store, whatever. I've got to cut my toenails. I don't know. How do you get to have an experience that is truly centered? So you don't create that mishmash of conversation within yourself. I think the people that tend to do best with being able to really focus and stay present in sexuality are the people who practice sexuality as self-care. So this is when you start to say, this is my time. We've earned it. I've earned it. This is an opportunity to connect Um, with the four intimacy cells. It's an opportunity for bonding, for release, for giving and for responsiveness. And that those things can really help to motivate you to say, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be here and I'm going to make the most out of it. It's almost like I'm going to maximize this experience. Just like when you go get a massage, if you've ever gone to go get a massage and you shell out the cash for it 
And at the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, I, that was not restful at all. I did not get what I needed because I was on my phone or somebody kept, you know, coming in or whatever it is. Like, that's kind of what that's like. Whereas if you say, okay, I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm letting everybody know, don't bother me for this hour. Um, and maybe you let you let the massage person know, like, I, I don't want any talking. Like when you really prioritize your self-care and you, you say, I'm going to put this bubble around us, especially during sexuality, then you're much more likely to experience the positive benefits from it. And it's not just, you know, it's like mindful eating. You know, how many of us struggle with not reading or looking on our phones or watching TV when we're eating and actually really choosing <laughs> to experience the pleasure of every single bite. I don't know of many people who do that. Certainly oh, not regularly. But that's what we should be striving for, to really get the most out of these experiences, however simple or quick or whatever. Um, self-care. You mentioned the sexual act as self-care. Um, a lot of people that are watching might be like, well, I'm not in a relationship with someone else. I am in a relationship with the self, right? So how does one have a sexy and healthy sexual life while single? And can they be fulfilled? So I'm such a fan of creating an intimate care routine for yourself, taking care of your genitals, taking care of your arousal zones and your erogenous zones, making sure that you're not just tossing aside any sexual fantasies or thoughts. You know, oftentimes I'm working with women who say, like, I just can't, I just can't get there most of the time. I can't really think about sex. I'm not often wanting it. But my partner is able to, like, at the drop of a dime. And I have to tell you, oftentimes it's women, um, who are struggling with that because we have been, I think, socialized as a society for so much time, for so long, to not entertain sexy thoughts. It's almost like there's a time and a place. And the time and place is when I'm naked in bed with my partner. And most of the time it's husband, you know. Um, but men are really good about letting a thought come in and not just immediately poo-pooing it and saying, get out of here. You're not supposed to be here. And then feeling shame about it. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. And then they move on. And they're, that's why I think that they're more likely to have this underlying sexual current that you can tap into when the time is right. You know, and, and I think for a lot of women, we really struggle with that. And we're like, I'm not even thinking about sex. But when they are thinking about sex, they need at least 20 more minutes of thinking about it and of of being stimulated in order to match up with what they're, if they have a male partner, what their male partner has going on. So we need the foreplay. We need that self-care. We need those times when we're saying, I'm tapping into my sexy side long before the sexual experience happens. And I'm going to allow that to happen without any shame or guilt. And that way I can be ready to have a much more pleasurable experience with my partner within the next 24 hours, within the next 48 hours, and, and kind of have that current, underlying current. Yeah. You mentioned erogenous zones. I feel like a lot of people may know what erogenous zones are. I'm only familiar with, do you remember that episode on Friends, Monica? And she's, seven, seven. <laughs> Seriously. 
Can you name the erogenous zones off the top of your head? So the typical ones that um, most everyone experiences some sort of pleasurable reaction, um, that's going to be nipples, that can be neck, that can be um, the inside of your arms, uh, that can be anywhere on your pelvis, that can include your penis, your vulva, your clitoris, it can be your buttocks. Um, but then some people love getting their toes sucked. Some people love having, you know, their fingers or the inside of their hands stroked. Or some people will say, oh my gosh, when somebody uh, sucks on my earlobes, I go crazy. So everyone kind of has to figure out for themselves what their own pleasure zones are. And oftentimes it takes a partner to help them to feel what that is. And that could be, you know, at the, the small of your back. It can be, you know, just above your buttocks. I mean, you, there's there's something for everyone. Dude, what is it about the buttocks? I'm going to use the word buttocks <laughs> instead of anal. Buttocks. The buttocks. <laughs> but, but can I go here? Can I, can I? Yeah, of course. Get explicit. Why do I keep hearing time and time again the conversation about butt plugs? Why do you? What are you hearing? What well, is the you were talking about erogenous zones, and people were like using butt plugs, and I'm like, how does that seem pleasurable? So, um, obviously, people can use toys in lots of different ways. One of the main ways that I, I've heard my clients use butt plugs is mainly um, to prepare their anuses and their rectums for insertion and penetration. It's not mm. usually just the act of having them in that is pleasurable. It's more the act of um, helping to kind of train their bodies to be able to have penetration by maybe a dildo or a penis. So oh. that's usually what's happening. Um, but some people might say, oh, well, I just want to have it in to have it in to experience what that feels like. While there aren't the same sort of pleasure receptors that there are in other parts of our bodies, like our vulvas, like our vaginas, like our penises and shaft and all of that and testicles, there are some. And I think it's possible that they're trying to tap into that. But more than anything, I, most people are trying to use them to make sure that they are uh, preparing for or recovering from anal penetration. Or recovering from. Well, I mean, if anyone's ever tried that, I kind of want kind of want to know the answer here because I'm genuinely curious about all these sexual questions. That's why you're on because people don't talk about any of this stuff, so I'm asking the questions, you know. But but you know, that mentions playfulness, right? Being playful, trying new things, remembering the boundaries involved in that playfulness. But Truly, what is sex beyond the physical intercourse act? You know, I think a lot of people um, aren't even sure that there is something more beyond the physical. I think more often than not, we do prioritize the emotional and psych psychological aspect of the sex act. But some people are like, I only know it as a physical experience. That's why when people say, oh, you know, I need to have strong feelings for someone in order to experience pleasure, they're like, it's the same as like, you know, dancing with someone. What is the big deal? 
Um, but the problem becomes when you don't know that about yourself or you don't know that your partner feels differently about it and y'all are making deposits in different ways into your, your intimate life. Mm. Um, I also think that it's so important for people to define what sex actually means to them and what desire means. Um, a lot of times I'm helping couples to have those very, what I think, fundamental conversations about sexuality and about what the whole premise means to them. Because if you're going to take the time out of your very busy day to hopefully practice self-care and practice an investment in your relationship by having sex, it's so important that y'all understand why. Why is this happening and why are we doing this? Um, that's where you get the quality from. Lots of people can have quantity. Not that they are because we're, again, very busy and prioritize other things. But the quality is what I think really helps people to feel like they're connected long term. I, again, um, I would love for all of you to take the quiz at the fourintimacystyles.com. If you go there, it's a free quiz. Check it out and it'll tell you what percentage of each of the four intimacy styles you're at right now. And the goal is to try to get rounded out by having 25% of each of the four present in all or nearly all sexual experiences. That way you can ensure that you and your partner are getting your needs met. And that's for the long term, right? Anybody can have a one night stand and it can just be like all you or all me or all and we're all looking out for ourselves. But if you're trying to be with someone for a long term and have satisfying sexual connection for the long term, then you need to be more mindful of this. Yeah, because the four intimacy styles, again, are... Yeah, bonding, release, giving, and responsive. I love it. Which is totally beyond, if you think about it, if it's, it's beyond the orgasm itself, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it should, I feel like a lot of people who do, who are very orgasm centric are missing out mm -hmm. on a huge part of why sex is important in a relationship, especially in a monogamous relationship. You know, there's a lot of communication that's happening, nonverbal and verbal in sexuality. And if all you're thinking about is the end goal of orgasm, we have to remember we're not robots. We cannot be programmed. Um, and there are going to be times where orgasm is few and far between. It's going to be uh, less, you know, less climactic. It's, it's you know, and and if you're judging everything based off of whether or not an orgasm happens, then you're missing out on a whole lot and you're also negating our humanity. Yeah. So with that being said, a lot of people, if they don't read that climax or they don't read that orgasmic state, they might feel shame, right? How can people overcome experiencing shame when it comes to having sex? I think practicing on your own is really important. When you get very used to something, when you get used to feeling like you can um, verbalize, you can writhe, like all of those things that I think a lot of people um, can can do to make even the the smallest pleasure, you know, and maximize it. I feel like when people do that, if you can do that on your own and kind of get used to this idea of like having this kind of abandon and letting your body just do what it needs to do, um, mm -hmm. chances are you'll do a better job when you're with your partner. And you'll also invite your partner to also 
kind of let go of those inhibitions so that they can let their bodies do what they need to do. So practicing on your own, I think, could be really good. I love what you just said. Letting your body do what it needs to do. You restrict, restricting everything else, right? Totally. So working individually, right, on the self, a lot of people when engaging or having an ongoing sexual relationship may have come from a past toxic relationship, right? Um, how can individuals heal from past toxic experiences and carry that growth into future relationships? How can they heal? I think that if you're feeling stuck, that's when you should reach out for help. Lots of people, you know, it's it is absolutely okay for you to to struggle. It's absolutely okay for you to not be bouncing back and rebounding after a, a very intense experience like a heartache or even just or even a betrayal. Um, mm-hmm. There are well-meaning women and friends who might be, or and and men as well who will be like, okay, let's you know get back out there. You need to. You know, the best way to get over someone is to get under someone. No, like allow yourself that time to process and grieve so that you can actually get out of that zone versus getting pulled back the minute that you're triggered. And you'll also end up being a better partner to your future partner um, because you'll be coming at it from maybe more of a of an insightful place and you won't be again laying minefields you know laying minds out there for your partner to your new partner to step on and it's also what we would hope our potential future partner has done too is process these experiences process the process these emotions and if you're stuck if you're struggling if you feel like gosh i i get triggered and thrown right back in reach out to a relationship therapist. This is what we do. We can help you move through it in a healthy way. Beautiful. I mean, you're kind of discussing the role about how that self-love and self-care can really do like so much in just cultivating and paving the way towards building a strong relationship. Um, What other things like points would you throw out there in regards to that mindfulness, right? How does mindfulness, you mentioned it before, but how does mindfulness truly play a role in avoiding toxic patterns in various aspects of life in general, not just the relationships? I think, I think in general, being mindful allows you to kind of it's it's like when you're more observant, you know, I, my husband's the kind of person who can walk in anywhere and be like, okay, that person is drunk. That person is, uh, you know, they just ordered this like that. Like he's very aware of everything that's going on around us. And meanwhile, I'm like, I just want to order my food. Like I don't, I'm not <laughs> that kind of person, but I can tell you that I miss out on a lot because of that. Now, of mm. course, for safety reasons, I'm absolutely aware of my surroundings when I'm, you know, alone or whatever. But usually if I'm with my husband, I'm just kind of like, you lead the way. It's the same thing, I think, in relationships. If you can be that person who's more observant, who's more willing to 
kind of taken all the different cues and clues that are around you, you'll be more likely to make better decisions. You'll be more likely to make more educated decisions. And I think you'll be a better partner um, because they can then rely on you and and feel like, again, we're on the same team. Or maybe they miss something, but you pick up on it. I was just talking about couples who are opposites today. And, and one of the things that I think is so beautiful about that, that can be a real strength, is having different perceptions of the same issue and how important that is to be able to work through it maybe more efficiently um, and, and getting all the different sides of it. You know, and I think that we really struggle with that um, for a lot of people. It's like we stay in our own way. We stay in our own mind. We see things through this filter that is like my filter. It's your filter. And um, and if we can start to kind of wash some of that filter away and really decide like, okay, I'm just going to take this in for what it is, then I think you'll do better and be more mindful. So you have an awesome book, The Four Intimacy Styles. You told us a little bit about the four intimacy styles. You are such an amazing expert. I'm so happy you came here. Mm-hmm. But I have a couple of, I call it T and Qs because I'm a teaholic. So I have <laughs> some audience questions. Great. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to ask you right now, which is Dr. Viviana, what is the best sexual intimacy book you could recommend? And I think they're kind of talking in a nice way about something like learning new sex positions. Actually, I just recommended one and it's something that I've had in my library, in my office. I've had like two or three copies at a time um, because I I just think it's such a beautifully done, written and very um, expertly created option for couples to look at or even for singles to look at it's called loving sex by mm-hmm. dr laura berman um and i just think that and i'm gonna just double check that that is the exact name um it's a hardcover it has beautiful pictures very tasteful black and white lots and lots of um of options and choices and it you know it can get pretty, you know, French vanilla, maybe a little rocky road, but it's something that I don't think would make everybody blush. I think I think it's definitely something that you can open up with your partner and not worry that it's going to be like, I don't know, my eyes, you know. <laughs> um, but I love that book and I, I do definitely uh, think that it's something that I, I will continue. Yeah, it's called Loving Sex, The Book of Joy and Passion by Laura Berman. Dr. Berman, I'm a fan. Please uh, send me more copies if you ever can. <laughs> but I, I, I really do like that book. So that's a good one. I think that's a great one. The other ones that are out there um, more recently that I think have been huge hits are mainly for people who have experienced, I think, um, sexual trauma that they're trying to resolve. And, and, and I feel like that's really important. But of course, you know, um, getting help from a sexual assault or trauma uh, expert would be a good idea too. Great answers. I love that. I'm going to definitely kind of check out that book because I don't want to have one of those books where you like, ah! you know, sex ed class. 
Um, the next question was for those of you that are in relationships, marriages in particular, that have been in beautiful marriages 20 years, let's say 20 years, how do you rekindle the fire? The kids are out of the house. Maybe you never had kids. And you're just kind of set in your ways. How do you rekindle that zest and feel like young lovers once again? Well, my whole kind of career is based off of helping couples to not lose it to begin with. But let's say you Mm -hmm. have. Um, I do have a program called the Dr. Viviana Method for Intimate Reconnection. There is a self-paced program and there is an expert-led program and you can work with me. Uh, I have that on my website, Dr. Viviana, spell out doctor. And um, that I really think is a huge success for so many couples because it's it's mainly for those people who are like, we love each other. We like Mm. each other. We just can't seem to have, like, get any sort of rhythm or um, consistency in our sex life. Or it's been so long that now it's kind of awkward. I don't really know how to initiate. I'm worried about worried about being rejected or pressuring my partner too much. And they just are like, they're both kind of thinking about it and wanting it, but they don't know how to get it. That's what that is for. Um, I think the other piece of it is just saying, hey, I know that things are awkward between us, but I actually still really want you. And I wish that we could figure this out, but I don't even know where to start. I wish more couples would just share that they're that they're feeling that way so that their partner can be like, oh, thank goodness. I thought we were like done for. I thought our sex life was over. I thought it died. Yeah, just say it because the other person might be like, yeah, me too. We really need to like go on a date or like take off our sweatpants. <laughs> just like get down to it, you know? Well, and for some people, because a, a lot of therapists who haven't been trained in, in sex therapy might tell their clients like, oh, just do it. Have a glass of wine and just do it. It's mm-hmm. so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. It it mm-hmm. really does mean need and, and require so much more attention. Um, and so, yes, if you're at that place where you're like, let's just set a date and have sex and, and let's see what happens. But usually... That ends up just being a one-off and you're back to square one. Yeah, very true. Well, I do have a couple of rapid fire questions for you if you're in it. Okay. All right. How do you start your day? Super important. Ooh. Um, So since the first, I have uh, made it a, a, a concerted effort to not check my phone first. But what I do is I, I know it's like I used to do that all the time. Um, is I start the day by listening to affirmations because apparently our neuroplasticity is at its greatest during those first waking moments. So I listen to affirmations for about eight minutes. Um, And when my feet hit the ground, and I've been doing this for a long time, but when my feet hit the ground, I kind of tell, you know, say my mantra and I put my arms up and I stretch and I kind of look up and I kind of, you know, I welcome the day. I welcome whatever's coming, but I'm, you know, with intention. Um, I try to, you know, that's when I just kind of hit the ground running. So that's when I'm getting my water, my coffee, my breakfast, my husband's making breakfast and uh, I get dressed. I do my hair and makeup because I'm usually filming at some point and uh, that's it. I, I head out and I'm usually gone for at least most of the day. And then I come in and, and I'll do I see clients, I film, 
Uh, I see clients. I see virtual clients. I do interviews um, and probably more filming. There's just, <laughs> there's always a lot. And then the kids get home and I start to shut down. That's when I'm like, oh, okay, now I can just ease into uh, into nighttime routine and usually watch TV or a movie with my husband. Oh, that's great. Well, what is it. one simple, toxic free habit that our audience can start to implement today? Kiss your partner for three seconds. Ooh. Whenever you kiss your partner, I want it to be for three seconds. I want it to count. I want it to be intentional and not be out of habit. Try that. With the Mississippis? Yeah, sure. All right. Whatever, whatever you come up with, but yeah, three seconds. That's a good one. So, and then what is your everyday non-negotiable? Oh gosh. It, it, I, can it be toxic? Cause it's my coffee. <laughs> um, no, I think my non-negotiable would be, oh, um, my husband and I are very handsy with each other. There's lots of hugging going on. Like we're, yeah, we hug a lot. We kiss a lot. We say, I love you a lot. Um, we usually, we do not leave the house if possible. Like if I'm in here and he's, you know, doing something else I and has to leave, he's not going to interrupt me. But we don't leave the house without saying goodbye with a hug and a kiss. That's, oh, that's my non-negotiable. It feels really odd when we don't. Um, and, and yeah, I really like that. Well, darling, thank you so much for joining us this thank hour. Thank you. And um, we'll definitely have you back on for sure. I'm sure there's so many more questions. But guys, I just wanted to say to you, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for joining, oh, tuning well, in. And remember, you. you're doing your best and your best is great. Guess what? It's time for hot habits. Um, my hot habit for today is baths, specifically Epsom salt baths. Um, a lot of you are like, yeah, Epsom salt baths. I've tried it before. You know, me sitting in a bath. I always try to have my husband take a bath, especially with me. He will not do it. I think he's really grossed out on the fact that you're sitting in your own dead skin, sweat, other things. Yeah, but baths are such a beautiful way to release toxins from your body. Point in fact, I love them specifically because they help me relax. Um, and then I put the Epsom salt baths or the Epsom salts in there. There are so many other little ingredients that I can tell you what to put in there, like baking soda to help with your pH level because guys, we all know that different parts of our body regulate on different pH levels. You can put sea salt, you can put Himalayan pink salt in there. You can put unfiltered, unprocessed apple cider vinegar in there. Really great for your skin as well. And one thing I especially like to put in my baths is mustard powder. So make your baths super relaxing, super intimate with yourself. Light some candles, you know, put some Palo Santo, like smoke that shit everywhere. <laughs> so good. My husband always walks in. He's like, oh, mama Sajin again. You bet I am because sisters had a long day. Um, but I kind of want to point out some really because you're like, whoa, bows. I get it. Yeah. What the point? But there are benefits like there are 
more benefits than you might think. The American Osteopathic Association, guys, said 50% of the U.S. population is magnesium deficient. So that is why Epsom salt baths are so miraculous to the body. We need our magnesium because if we're not absorbing magnesium, if we're not, you know, keeping it in our system, we're not metabolizing vitamin D. Vitamin D is associated with healthy immunities, right? If you don't have the healthy immunities, then you're going to become sick. Hmm. And another thing, when you are stressed, which most of the world is like running avid around with, you know, their heads cut off, you know, chickens running around town, um, your magnesium is getting depleted from that stress. Therefore, that's when you get sick. So take a bath, folks. Um, also, when I said about the stress, it helps relieve your stress, guys. It helps your body produce more serotonin. Yes. So enjoy your bath time. And let's next move into our trendy trends. Trendy trend, I'm going to kind of put this out there on the line of the bath situation, the water situation, but more of the opposite effect. Not the nice, hot, steamy, sexy bath. Motherfucking cold plunges. Nothing scares me more than the thought of jumping into cold water. Um, I'm a swimmer. You know that. The most I do is jump into the ocean, which is such a high in the end. But I know these people. And I have to say, yes, I may try it in the future a little bit more often. But that actually Sit in the baths. You see the influencers just lounging in those cold plunges like, this is great. I'm having the time of my life. Come on, bring me my pina colada over here, you know? And I'm thinking, okay, I've tried it before. And I'm like, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three. I'm out. Like, I can't do it. But I know there's benefits to it. Um, cold water immersion can actually help with muscle recovery and provides less perceived muscle soreness. So for the gal that is like running up and down mountains and then going to Pilates class and walking the dogs and then doing everything else active that she can possibly do, like sitting in this chair right now is like pulling teeth. I'm like, I can't sit here any longer. A cold plunge might actually be kind of nice for me. Um, Because beyond that, if you do the combination, you know, I love the heat therapy. If you do that contrast of cold plunge exposure, right, Uh, the deep breathing exercises, which I know so well through my meditation and the combination of the meditation, I think we'll all turn out to be a little bit more focused and aware, right, of our surroundings, of just kind of um, how we take care of ourselves on a non-toxic level. So. Yes, this trendy trend, I might be turning it into a hot habit, especially very, very soon. I've had conversations with my husband about this. I think the accountability is going to become real. And also what I love is because sometimes I think especially a lot of us have been feeling a little bit lower at times. Um, So this can help kind of put you back into that adrenaline mode. Certainly, you don't want to be on high adrenaline mode all the time. You want to have your relaxing bath at night. 
but you know, boosting up the ammo, the adrenaline might help every once in a while. So there you have it.